1: So we were going to call this the blue wave edition, and then Jeff Sessions had to go and ruin that. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks.
0: Thanks a lot, Jeff.
1: Or the blue-ish it's wave. It's not really Jeff that
2: ruined that. Fair. I mean, it's like kind of the president.
1: Why is the president always gumming up our titles, you guys?
2: I don't know.
3: It's we'll just job. combine them.
1: We'll combine them? Yes so the blue sessions exactly
3: Ooh. and sessions has the blues The blue it works sessions. it all it works ties together all the way around it's, perfect. Like it. it's
2: good um, you know also
3: can we note they clearly did this on purpose because everybody stayed up all night last night and so now everyone's too exhausted to actually react to <laughs> the, like monumental bomb that was just dropped even uh, sessions is, is too tired to react
1: yeah Hello and welcome to Rational Security, the Blue Sessions edition. I'm Shane Harris. Not as exhausting as I thought it would be today, I have to say. Really? Well, I'm tired, but like it's not as. I ate a lot of sugar last night. And I think I'm still on a little bit of a sugar high. Oh,
3: man. You I don't know,
1: feel completely myself, I will say that. I, I am <laughs> I, seriously exhausted. Yeah. I,
3: like, hit that point at which, like, caffeine is no longer helping, but it's necessary yeah. to, like, achieve the baseline. Right, just like, to I keep, keep it, your like, eyes I, open. Exactly. Yeah, I'm with you.
1: Yeah, it was a long night. How, what, how long did you guys stay up last night to watch the midterms? So,
3: I promised myself I wasn't going to do this and then stayed up to like, 2 o'clock in the morning. Oh, wow. Refreshing yep. that goddamn needle me too but it
0: was it was because there were a couple of races that i had a particular interest in that were both super super close one of which finally did get decided before two in the morning and the other one did not Hmm.
2: i was up and i tried to go to sleep around two and Did not succeed and kind of dozed all night and kept waking up and looking at my phone.
0: You're wired, but you haven't been fired.
1: (laughs) I feel like such a slacker. I went to bed at midnight.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What kind of reporter are you? I mean, you know. Not a politics reporter. I wasn't
1: covering the uh, returns. (laughs) (laughs) But how did you fall
2: asleep? Weren't you, like, wired?
1: Oh, yeah. I was pretty wired. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think eventually I, I just, well, probably more from exhaustion, so. But okay, while we're here, I'm here with Ben, Tammy, and Susan in the Jungle Studio, and we're, this is like an edition that's just going to kind of all morph into one. It's like there are many ingredients, but it is one Jello mold.
3: We are it's, doing this live. Folks. We're doing it live. Do- right, we'll do it live. I know it doesn't seem like this is carefully <laughs> planned. No, no, no This, Podcasts. but it is. This episode is like
0: the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's all connected.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so stay with us. Um, uh, I won't even bother reading the show description because I'm just going to go for it. <laughs> so let's start with the news that broke less than an hour ago, as we're recording this at four o'clock on Wednesday afternoon. Uh, Jeff Sessions submitted his letter of resignation to the president. It starts by saying, at your request, I am submitting my resignation. Uh, So clearly the president asked for this. Um, This is not entirely unexpected. Um, It nevertheless uh, arrives, I think, pretty darn quickly after uh, the the Democrats uh, or after the midterm results, which obviously the Democrats took back the House, the Senate uh, added a few more Republican seats and the President gave a, I think even for him, hugely combative press conference this morning uh, in which he mixed it up with reporters and essentially not only took no blame for the loss of the House, but cast what happened last night as a great victory for Republicans because they added to their Senate majority and the number of seats they lost in the House was maybe not as much as as many people thought. Um, so we'll get to that as well. But let's first start with Sessions' resignation. Ben, I'll start with you first. Um, just put this in some perspective. This wasn't unexpected. Um, I don't think this is going to uh, be seen as any kind of red line, at least by Republicans in the Congress. But just give us a sense of where we are in this moment and where in, in the significance of Sessions stepping down now.
2: Well, so first of all, I mean, this is – we should call it what it is if if i've resign at your request that is being fired right he was fired and probably formally it's not a firing because he submitted a letter of resignation and that actually has legal significance uh under the obscure federal vacancies reform act that governs who can and can't hold The position.
0: Wait a minute! Everybody on Twitter is an expert in the Federal Vacancies Reform Act today. (laughs) Ben,
3: the hot thing right now. I got to to say,
0: a lot of people who never heard about it. FRA. Woo! uh, It's
2: our moment. FVRA. Um, Look, uh, it is a very big deal, Um, and it's a big deal because Jeff Sessions basically had one significant virtue. Which was that he had recused as he, I guess it's two virtues that he recused as he was required to do under the ethics rules. Um, and he had refused to get out of the way, uh, having done so. Um, and he made the president, you know, by refusing to resign and, uh, let the president install, uh, an, a toady to control or try to rein in the Mueller investigation, he actually played an important role in letting Rod Rosenstein uh, supervise that investigation in a relatively dispassionate and, and serious way. Uh, now that he has been removed... Uh, the president, in fact, gets two opportunities. One is a uh, a very dangerous short-term opportunity to appoint on an acting basis somebody who will, uh, you know, could act very differently from the way Rod Rosenstein has done. And the individual who he has appointed to do that is not somebody who inspires a lot of confidence. And in fact, quite the opposite. Uh, in the longer term, the president gets to nominate somebody to be the attorney general of the United States and does so in a setting in which the Senate is, as you say, more apt to confirm a person than certainly was true six months ago. And uh, so I think he has a relatively freer hand to appoint exactly the wrong sort of person for the longer term job. And so it does create Uh, a short-term danger for the investigation as well as a long-term danger for the department.
1: So, Susan, talk about the man who is now effectively, as acting attorney general, will be overseeing, at least for the moment, the Mueller probe. And do you think that this is the beginning of an effort to shut the probe down?
3: Yeah, so taking the second question first, um, at the risk of being hyperbolic, I guess, in retrospect. Um, I think this is the moment. This is the big constitutional crisis, standoff of the branches, let's see if the system holds moment. Um, And that might not come with like a big bang. um, But I really don't think we can overstate this significance of what is happening right now. And that is that this is a frontal assault on the Mueller investigation. And... One of the reasons we know that is because he didn't uh, – Trump didn't just uh, fire Jeff Sessions. He also installed Matt Whitaker, who was Sessions' chief of staff, in the acting attorney general role instead of allowing the ordinary sort of order of succession to fall. Um, and this is an individual, um, Whitaker, who despite being a former U.S. attorney and uh, I think he was a one-time Senate candidate maybe um, – mm. By all sort of public appearances, is essentially a MAGA troll now. Uh, you know, take a look at his Twitter feed. The the sort of conspiracy theories that uh, that he's tweeting. He has publicly written about the Mueller investigation rather extensively. Uh, talked about it being sort of a witch hunt, crossing red lines. Now, I do think that raises the immediate question of whether or not he has an obligation to recuse under DOJ ethics rules. Um, the big thing to look for there is whether or not he is asking career ethics officials whether or not he. He needs to recuse and then whether or not he's relying on their advice. So if he doesn't bother asking, then we know that there's a big problem. And if there's any sort of daylight between what he is, whether he's recusing from overseeing Mueller or not, that's also really significant. That said, um, clearly, they're going to uh, at least try and have him oversee the Mueller investigation. We're seeing sort of early reports of that. Um, and so what we have right now is uh, essentially a worst case scenario. You have a brazen Trump loyalist. Um, who has publicly stated his hostility to the Mueller investigation for political reasons, who is now overseeing the investigation as far as we can tell. Um, and so I think then you have to think about, okay, what kind of mischief can that sort of person create? Now, the first thing he could do is just straight up fire Mueller. Um, and while, you know, you might think, oh, you know, that's going to that's going to create a ton of blowback on the White House. Actually, he might be the kind of person who knows his marching orders and can fire Mueller in a way that doesn't require any inputs from the White House. And so, therefore, provide actually a lot of cover and insulation. Uh, you know, if the White House can sort of shrug and say, well, you know, he didn't tell us about it, but obviously, you know, it's it was his decision. All He's along. the acting attorney general, after Attorney General, um, and he does seem like the kind of person who might be um, inclined to do that.
1: And the president was asked about whether he had plans to fire Rosenstein today and shut the probe or put the probe down, and he pointedly did not answer and said, "I have the authority to shut it down whenever I want."
3: Yeah, so I do think we have to. That's a possibility, and it's a, there's a non-zero possibility of that. Um, but there's a lot that you can do, uh, sort of short of actually firing Mueller, that could really, really strangle this investigation. And that's that the acting attorney general has oversight of the special counsel. That's just it's it is very, very clear from the regulations. Um, he
1: could like not approve indictments. He could limit the scope.
3: He could pass on information. Yeah. Um, the, the special counsel is
2: obligated on under the regs to consult with the attorney general on major steps in the investigation. and Consult
0: does not mean get approval from.
2: Well, except that the attorney general is entitled to issue him an ex- a direct order because he's appointed by mm-hmm. the attorney general. And the refusal to carry out that order is presumably grounds for removal. So, you know, if you combine the removal power with the Consultation obligation. Sure. An attorney general who wants to really screw things up gets to do it.
3: I mean, that said, Ben is is keying on, I think, what's a really important point, And that's that the regs say that if um, if in consultation, the attorney general decides that it should not be pursued, um, uh, then that whether or not that's a binding determination, uh, right? Mueller has to follow those rules. It doesn't say shall not be pursued. Mm-hmm. And so actually, Mueller does have one sort of possible defense here is Mueller gets to interpret the regulations for himself a little bit. So even though there's this consultation requirement, you know Mueller's up. He's staffing. He's staffed. He's going. He runs his day to day operations, and he gets a relatively free hand in deciding, how, you know, at or to what degree and when he's gonna uh, he's gonna actually be be consulting. Um, now he had uh, some sort of agreement with uh, with Rosenstein about what that was gonna look like, but uh, he could now sort of um, define the problem down a little bit. So. But Mueller, ultimately, what Mueller
0: has as a hedge against that kind of blatant uh, constraint on his investigation or a direct order from the attorney general to shut certain avenues down, um, what he has as a hedge is Congress, right? I mean, the fact that In a similar fashion to House Republicans who tried to interfere with the investigation by conducting their own investigation, subpoenaing documents from the Justice Department and so on, House Democrats could constrain the Justice Department's efforts to corral Mueller, right, by doing something similar. I
3: think they could do a lot to expose it. I actually don't know that they could do a whole lot to Actively constrain it, right? So the Senate has the big card to play here in that if they don't like what's going on, they'll say, we're not gonna confirm your new attorney general. Whenever you think about House Democrats, y- yes, certainly they're gonna have the ability, for example, to get a clear answer on whether or not ethics guidelines were were sought. Also, by the the virtue of the fact that the House has now flipped, it sort of it eliminates one avenue by which you know Whitaker really could have harmed the investigation, and that's by playing along with the games that Hipsy under Devin Nunes and Jim Jordan. And these people were uh, were sort of going after Rosenstein by, by requesting documents and sort of attempting to have this information sharing relationship now because there's going to be House Democrats in that position. And people like Nunes aren't going to have the, the ability to request documents directly or issue subpoenas. He's not going to be able to circumvent Mueller and, and cause problems that way.
0: So can I hypothesize, though, there's going to be a lame duck session of Congress? Which means that the House Republicans, including Devin Nunes's hipsy, are going to be operating for the next couple of months um, until the new Congress comes in in January. And this guy, Whitaker, is acting attorney general, presumably until the new year when there will be a permanent appointee. So he's he's a short timer. As you said, he has the ability to insulate the White House if he acts in a certain way. Nunes is now a short timer as committee chair. There is really strong incentive for these guys over the next couple of months to do everything they can to stymie, to shut down, to, and otherwise to mangle this investigation. And it may be that Whitaker has no purpose as acting attorney general other than precisely this. But not On
3: this point, I do think this is an important point because we know that this is or we can speculate that this is you're exactly right, that he has no other purpose. And that's because it was speculated that he was going to replace Rod Rosenstein as the deputy attorney general. The problem with that was there's a rule against double acting. So he couldn't both be the acting deputy attorney general and also the acting attorney general for overseeing the Mueller investigation. So that wasn't going to work. So they thought, all right, never mind. Now they've gone the attorney general route. I I do think that's them kind of showing their hand here.
2: Well, so I also think there's a real risk that, you know, if in a lame duck where the Jim Jordans and Mark Meadows and Devin Nunez's push certain document production demands that they've made, if you have an acting attorney general who's inclined to comply with those, we're in a very different environment. And, you know, Rod was too accommodating toward those in a lot of respect. But he did draw some lines and I I do think it is worth worrying about what what Whitaker does in that. Look, the longer term question is who is the president going to appoint as attorney general because there Congress actually does have leverage, right? When somebody goes uh, before the Senate Judiciary Committee, you can exact – concessions from him you can say you know do you promise to protect the special counsel do you promise and that you know in fact happened uh to rod rosenstein uh you know about the russia investigation and by the way it was one of the big factors for elliot richardson in that he had promised to the senate judiciary committee that he would protect Special Prosecutor Archibald Cox, that's one of the reasons he refused to fire him or it may be the reason he refused to fire him.
1: It also seems like – I mean you guys are making the case. It sounds like that there's a greater chance of – Whitaker coming in <clears throat> and doing all kinds of things to just gum up the works, strangle, hobble, maybe even ultimately cripple the probe. That sounds right to me insofar as it seems like the stupidest thing he could do would be to just come in, fire Mueller, and just shut it down because then you immediately raise the question of whether the Democrats will begin impeachment proceedings the day that they swear the new Congress. Well, in. but
2: so but there are some – look, Mueller is not without tools here and you know Bob Mueller uh, – Uh, first of all, has never spoken. And if he believes his investigation is being interfered with, he could hold a press conference. And that is an enormously powerful moment. The day that, you know, Bob Mueller speaks and says the attorney general is getting in the way of his investigation. uh, That is a big day when that happens. And so I do think if you're Mark Whitaker, remember, The thing that changed the complexion of the Saturday Night Massacre was when Archie Cox, having been fired, called a press conference. And, you know, that like so, so, you know, one of the virtues of Bob Mueller's silence over the last year and a half has been that the day that it changes, no one's going to be listening to anything else. Um, And so that's one tool that he has. The second tool that he has is, you know, Bob Mueller has had a lot of time to prepare for this day. The president has not acted with uh, subtlety or secrecy or quietness. And Bob Mueller has th- had to think about since l- not this summer, since last summer, about the possibility that his investigation would be interfered with or that he would be fired. And so one person who has thought about how he wants to handle this situation and who knows a great deal more about... What he's trying to protect is Bob Mueller. One thing he has done that's to, to deal with that situation already is to spread pieces of the investigation all around the Justice Department uh, to different U.S. attorney's offices, to NSD. But I suspect there may be other things that he's done. I don't, I don't pretend to know what they are, but I don't think he's gone without giving some serious thought to, to how to handle – the possibility that somebody like Matt Whitaker would be put in charge. Of
3: I mean, one thing we have seen him do is sort of spin off ca- things outside of his jurisdiction, right? So that strategy, you know, these cases that have a life of their own now that are not subject to the direct oversight, you know, those uh, those are have their own independent momentum. Um, you know, and I think we shouldn't forget that it was just a few months ago that Michael Cohen, the president's, you know, former attorney, stood in federal court and said that the president of the United States direct him to commit a federal crime and that sort of you know stunned everybody at the time and then kind of nobody talked about it after that that is uh, I think in retrospect will end up being such an important pivotal moment it just really is such an unbelievable bombshell and so you know, these investigations sort of he's, you know, Bob Mueller has has created a situation where it will live on beyond him. Um, and so I do think that, you know, even if uh, somebody like Whitaker can can kill sort of the core, uh, you know, Russia investi- investigation inquiry, um, uh, or maybe even the obstruction inquiry, you know, there are things here that have a life of its own. And, and I do think are, are beyond the ability of someone in the acting attorney general role to really rein in at this point.
1: And could Bob Mueller, if you wanted to simply release publicly what he has? I mean, could he say, oh, okay, you're shutting me down. Fine. We're issuing a report.
2: Well, so I think he, you know, under the regs, he probably issuing a report is almost certainly a major step in the investigation that would have to be taken in conjunction with, um, you know, with with the acting attorney general but i don't think if he, if he were interfered with i don't think speaking is something i mean they can fire him for well it. he but could also
1: he could also say i'm issuing a report or i want and then go to whitaker and say i want to issue a report and whitaker can say no you can then he can say ladies and gentlemen of america he's told me i can't tell the issue the report right
3: exactly uh, the other thing is he could say i've prepared a report it's in a vault at doj house democrats if you're right. interested in getting this right. document right. Right. right this is this is pretty clearly kind of within the congressional materials that they might be entitled to. He is
2: not without tools and he is not without uh, a lot of time to think about how he would want to use them if a situation like this arose.
1: Okay, so let's talk about, the, you know, the, the other big story of this and how it intersects the day and what it intersects with the Mueller probe, which is that Democrats have now taken the majority in the House. Oh right, there was an election. There was an election. I forgot and about that. The president that. would like it you seems to like forget. A real long time ago. <laughs> it sure does. Uh, you know, the Senate obviously the Republicans have expanded uh, their majority by a few seats, uh, so probably doing a little bit better than expected. Maybe not as well as some had expected. Uh, Democrats did not come away with the blue wave. I think that some people I, were
3: hoping for. I disagree. Like thirty-seven seats. That's Wait, fair. That's, that's a actually, wave. right. 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 No, no. No.
1: Actually, I take that back. You're right. I think anything historical. Over 24 25 is technically a wave. But point being is that there were hopes and aspirations that the Democrats would take the Senate and take the House. And
0: the presidency. Exactly. And And
1: Donald Trump would just hand it over.
0: (laughs) Right. Um, But nevertheless. Give in his marbles and go home. He's
1: like, you know what? I'm really tired, you guys here. Um, But Tammy, talk about like, so there's there's the immediate. The question of not just the, the Mueller probe itself and whether something could happen to it in this period between the election and when the new Congress is sworn in in January but presuming it survives, let's say, it enters into a completely altered political reality in which the Democrats control one of the chambers of Congress. They have subpoena power. It seems to me that becomes a great protection around the Mueller probe. Obviously, then the Democrats have their own ability to go ahead and start investigations of the executive branch. Uh, We presume that they will do that, not just via the House Intelligence Committee, which will go kind of be back on the rails now, I guess, (laughs) from having been off the rails, but multiple other committees, probably most prominently the House Government Oversight Committee, Judiciary, uh, which judiciary is another huge one. Actually, uh, Congressman Nadler, who's b- going to presumably be the chairman of that committee, has already come out with a statement warning the White House: "Don't even think about it with and, shutting down and Mueller. warning
3: anyone in DOJ. Whatever right. you do, we're gonna we're gonna find out. And we're gonna mm-hmm. come after
1: you." So, so Tame, let's talk about you know that political environment into which we're now moving with respect to both the Mueller probe and also the Russian investigation and, you know, really the investigation of the Trump administration. This is this is a this is a pivotal moment. The the game has changed.
0: I think that there are undoubtedly some specific consequences for uh, the Mueller investigation and for the broader question of, uh, Russian interference in the U.S. electoral system, um, and potentially, you know, efforts at Chinese interference as well. So I expect all of that will get, um, greater scrutiny, uh, because we no longer have two houses controlled by the same party of, the, as the president who have an incentive to downplay things that might make the president look Compromised or less legitimate or maybe just make him look bad. But I think that the question you posed about the political context is this. For Democrats, uh, they are now going to be able to use their chairmanships in the House and their oversight functions to connect this Mueller investigation, which is, among other things, about a whole bunch of different kinds of political corruption. Um, You know, Paul Manafort, allegations of money laundering, you know, and the spin-off investigations um, of the Trump Foundation and things like that that have flowed out of this story. They're going to link all of that to other corruption in the Trump administration, to other investigations of ethics violations um, by Trump administration officials and maybe by the president himself and people in the White House. So I think that they're going to try and create a broader narrative about the swamp that President Trump has um, Deepened in Washington has mired us all in in Washington and that's going to be you know their goal um, beyond protecting the Mueller investigation per se In addition to that, setting aside, uh, those sorts of, you know, ethics and rule of law investigations on foreign policy and national security, which is an issue where we occasionally saw Democrats and Republicans, uh, in both houses of Congress coming together in a common concern that the Trump administration wasn't taking certain issues seriously enough or had a wrongheaded approach to them. I think we're going to see a Democratic House and Democrats and like-minded Republicans in the Senate, really shining a spotlight on a few things. Iran sanctions, okay, Uh, nice that you're trying to do this unilateral sanctions regime, but how much is this really going to achieve? Your policy goals with respect to Iran are entirely unrealistic. What's the strategy here? Are we isolated? Um, how are you engaging with the Europeans on this? A whole set of questions around Iran policy. I think there's going to be a whole set of questions around use of force and the question of, you know, authorization of the use of military force. Um, not, so, not so much because the Trump administration is, you know, sending special forces all over the place, although that is an issue. Um, but I think it's going to focus on the question of Yemen and the and the U.S. role in Yemen, not only American support for the Saudi Emirati campaign, which has come in for a lot increasing criticism on the Hill and now spotlighted by uh, the crisis in U.S.-Saudi relations over the killing of Jamal Khashoggi, but also American counterterrorism policy in Yemen, which is paying the price for this Yemen war. We can't prosecute a campaign against Al Qaeda effectively um, while this war continues. And so I think that um, you're going to see this one Democratic chamber with some help from Senate Republicans really holding the administration's feet to the fire on a host of national security issues. So it seems like we could even
1: think about investigations and oversight in the administration almost in two buckets, right? There's the one would be the one you're articulating there with traditional oversight of foreign policy, military operations, etc., and then there is just like the 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 set of personal conflicts of interests, uh, possible crimes by the administration, people in the administration, corruption, and, and one thing I mean I note is that you know you have the hipsey has been a bit of a mess, but. You also have Congressman Cummings, uh, the minority member on the um, House Oversight and Government Reform Committee, has over the past two years, I've lost track of how many letters and requests for documents they have issued uh, and demands for information. You essentially have, you know, a, a battery of loaded cannons basically ready to go with questions that they have been dying to ask for two years and trying to get the answer to them. Do you guys think it makes sense for the Democrats to kind of fire those off in sequence over Time And pick certain ones to push on with the president? Or should they just let the whole thing fly, you know, issue 100 subpoenas and absolutely just bombard the administration and signal that this is, you know, how we're gonna how we're gonna take you on
0: what did what did Trump say in his press conference he said it will be a warlike posture
3: <laughs> I thought that was well, a, an yeah. interesting turn of phrase but that's clearly what he's expecting
1: he's expecting right the, the fusillade to just open fire right yeah
3: I mean look, I um they would be foolish to not sort of coordinate on this and and think straight Pelosi did say there will be no
1: scattershot freelancing exactly you
3: um you know that they they do need to be you know methodical and, and work together to sort of build a case over time. You know, the other thing is, look, it's hard being the majority in the House. You know, there are things that you can do and say when you're in the minority and sort of throw rocks. But whenever you actually have to do it yourself and, and govern your caucus, that it, it becomes difficult. And the composition of the new House that we're seeing, you know, this is this is a broad sort of whenever you're looking, especially on sort of national security issues, there's a lot of moving pieces here. And so I do think that there's going to be some period of time in and sort of the initial onboarding here, in which they're going to have to figure out not just what they want to do on the Russia investigation, but sort of what the what they're going to do on a whole host of sort of national security related issues.
2: There is no way you're going to deal with uh, with this without prioritizing, and so like the you know the fuselage like just. You know, a sort of cannonade like on the sort of, of – from ships on the
1: beaches of a Normandy. A baby
2: cannonade. Uh, We're just be- loving
1: the imagery here. <laughs> yeah. you know, An like, explosion, a mass assault, and invasion. Like
2: that That would not be a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, Oh, I'm, come on. And you want – you need to decide what are the public integrity and national security issues. It's sometimes hard to tell the difference with this crew yeah. uh, that are the most important – and you need to focus on those. And that doesn't mean you ignore the others, but it does mean that, you know, you, you've you've got to decide what are the issues that you are, you know, going to go head to head and fight over. And what are the issues where you're going to ask for information and, you know, you're going to back burner until you get the first ones done. You just you have to be strategic about it.
0: I would argue, number one, that House Democrats have been anticipating the possibility of taking over control. And so I hope that they have already had some of those conversations. And I would say it's not just about which battles do you want to pick and which which subpoenas are you going to try and enforce through the courts. But it's also about what kind of story are you trying to tell about the Trump administration? This is all from from today onward. It is all about 2020 um, for Democrats and Republicans. And anyone who isn't playing that game is not going is not with the program. And the party leadership is going to be in charge of making sure that they are developing a coherent narrative, both of their critique of the Trump administration and their positive agenda for 2020. That's the first point. The second point is, I, I want to get back to uh, something Susan said about the composition of this new Democratic Party caucus. It is broad, but it's not nearly as broad as it might have been. There are definitely going to be some outliers of the sort of Maxine Waters, you know, variety in the caucus. Uh, but I think that on this set of issues related to uh, rule of law, foreign policy, national security, there is a very, very strong, very large and actually quite experienced Middle chunk of the House Democratic caucus. And I think that they're going to be the ones driving this agenda. You've got some very experienced committee chairs, Nita Lowy, Gerald Nadler, Elliot Engel. These are folks, Schiff. right? Adam Schiff. These are people who know process. They know their committees. They know the issues. They've traveled. They're going to be able to drive the conversation on this set of issues in a way that I think is pretty um, important. And then if you look at the incoming class, you know, it's very striking to me that you've got uh, a half a dozen former CIA, the spook, right? Wave. The spook wave, right? You've spook. got um, you're going to have, you know, some something like 80 new younger American vets. In other words, people who have fought in Iraq and Afghanistan, 80 of them in the Congress, that is going to change the conversation. And the vast majority of those are Democrats, and they're going to be able to talk about these issues with a credibility and a knowledge that is going to be very, very hard to gainsay. say. So I, I certainly agree that the Democratic caucus needs to be strategic about how it pursues these issues, but I think they have a lot going for them.
1: This also makes me think that the stupidest thing that this administration can do right now is try to shut down or mess with the Mueller probe. And it could actually be a a great gift to Democrats politically because let's say they do that. It triggers a constitutional crisis for sure. I think the American public, the polls show, generally support the Mueller probe. It kind of waxes and wanes a bit. I think it's probably almost a certainty, though, that they don't fully understand what's going on with it. They've lost the thread. They're not exactly sure where it's going. They're waiting for somebody to produce evidence of collusion. The minute the president tries to move to shut it down, he looks guilty. And it just plays directly into Democrats' hands. I mean, if that's how he wants to essentially start the game, because he is thinking about it and talking about it as a game. He even said today, you come and investigate me we we'll just investigate you. Not really clear what he means by that. But, you know, that it, it,
0: They're going to investigate Hillary Clinton's emails and the Benghazi attack. He
1: doesn't understand the Senate can't investigate the House, but he thinks they can. But putting that aside... Uh, you know, it just seems like that's it would be such a strikingly foolish thing for them to do to move on Mueller now, because for all those people who generally kind of want the probe to continue, but aren't really sure what it's doing, if suddenly now, in a moment of political weakness, when the Democrats are about to take the House, he starts trying to strangle the probe. I mean, you don't have to have been following LaFerre Roos to understand what that
3: looks like. I um, guess I think that the reason why this timing is so dangerous is because congressional pushback is the pushback. And so, you know, because. Because it is so complicated because there are all of these moving pieces. You know, the American people in general, I do think, have been looking into Congress to understand whether or not this is it or sort of are we in this, this emergency moment yet? And I think the problem is, you know, we are already hearing, uh, you know, Senate Republicans say that they're looking forward to, to working with Matt Whitaker. I mean, they are just falling in line right now. And so the problem is, is that in that environment in which what you essentially appear to, appears to be shaping up is like Republicans that are just absolutely getting out of the way like just not not the not a whisper of pushback here despite saying you know lindsey graham saying you know it would be the beginning of the end of his presidency and you know yeah, there'd be holy hell if he uh, if he fired sessions you know they're not they're not doing anything to push back and so then what you have is the democrats sort of trying to establish the controversy to sort of create the urgency and i think the problem is that when there is no concrete action to take there's something this is clearly within the president's constitutional authority what do you do and whenever there's sort of there's a long period of time I don't know that the sort of the collective attention span can really s- sustain but for that long.
1: You put your finger I thing on it just right though a second ago when you said people keep looking to the Congress to say, well, is this the moment we're supposed to be worried? And I think the Democrats have been really disciplined and smart, actually, to be careful not to declare DEFCON 1 just yet. Mm-hmm. And they're waiting for that moment. I think shutting on the Mueller probe would be the moment. That's when they break the glass and pull okay. the handle. They haven't done it yet. But – they're perfectly poised to take advantage of that now because I mean they're they're coming in to take over the chamber. And
3: I mean one one interesting thing you said Benghazi a moment ago. You know, the tools and the roadmap here on how you really cause a lot of trouble actually was in some ways created by Trey Gowdy, who changed all kinds of procedural rules and uh, and was uh, pretty creative and inventive. And so I, I do think that we might um, see Gowdy come to regret some of those decisions. So
2: I, you know, I think the question of when, when what you define as midnight is a really interesting question. So, you know, it used to be that if you'd said, you know, back when we were young and naive, like a year and a half, two years ago, if you said, is it midnight if you fire the FBI director because of his conduct of an investigation in which you have a personal interest, demand – get angry at your attorney general for rightly recusing himself in that investigation – Demand his unrecusal, put pressure on him, mock him and finally remove him so that you can install uh, a person who has made serial public comments related to the conduct of this investigation. Is it midnight? We would all say, duh,
0: of course. Right. And now what but we didn't want to happen. Well, but that's, that's, to mix a metaphor, that's the frog in the boiling water problem that we've been facing since this whole thing started. right. Right. And
2: so now what, what we're defining as midnight is, okay, once you've done all those things and you put in the, uh, I don't know what to call Whitaker, uh, but Susan called him a MAGA troll. Um, and, uh, you know, you put in, you put in the overtly partisan, Uh, a person who's commented on the investigation. A
3: Make America Great Again hat, but with a law degree.
2: (laughs) And so, you you know, you you do that, um, and that's not midnight. And what you're defining as midnight is when the person, that person, behaves as you might reasonably expect him to behave in office with respect to the investigation. That is taking the idea of a presumption of regularity a little far in my view. It may be strategically the right move on the part of Democrats right now.
1: Good God. <laughs> Let's move on to object lessons. Um, uh, I'll go first. Uh, so I my object this week is a very interesting uh, – paper that is i I like this because it reminds me of while the world is burning there are all these other things that we're not paying attention to uh this is a it's more of an essay really that uh uh, jim lewis at CSAS wrote a couple of days ago called responding to chinese espionage and we've talked a lot about jim as somebody on the podcast who kind of sees several steps ahead where china is going strategically with regards to espionage and what our attempts to counter it are doing and whether they're working he was i think the first one to raise the idea that actually the indictments of those PLA officers that the Justice Department issued a few years ago had a deterrent effect that actually got the Chinese to stop and pay attention and maybe reduce some of its economic espionage. So he's actually just written this really interesting new paper about kind of what's next and calling for a whole new multinational response, essentially us trying to form something akin to not really NATO, but sort of like five eyes plus that he says on the risk to, um, to combat the risk of Chinese espionage and curb um, its behavior. And I just it's a very smart essay. It's very clear-eyed. It makes the case that basically, you know, uh, China don't play by your rules. So mm-hmm. you need to get some new rules and some new friends. Um, kind of thinking it probably won't happen in this administration. Um, but it's really worth reading. And a good reminder that much of the intelligence community will be talking about this, I think, next year a lot more, too, is really reorienting itself to uh, not be moving away from Russia, but realizing, that russia is not 10 feet tall uh and, and it's that not actually, the
0: only adversary it's not
1: the only adversary in the more multifaceted, complex strategic actor out there that we need to be thinking about is in fact china hear, so hear. recommend it i will put a link uh on the show page yes go ahead
0: Hannah. oh i'm so excited okay so i love elections i grew up going door to door doing get out the vote in michigan i i love to go abroad as an election observer with the National Democratic Institute on whose board I am honored to sit. I I am just an election fan. I think they're super cool. But this midterm election was super cool for a very special, very personal reason. We, we've we seen that a lot of people have been inspired to enter politics over the last couple of years. And one of them is my 75-year-old Aunt Jen, nice. who had never run for anything in her life and put her name in the ring to represent District 2 on the San Diego City Council. And this object, this is my a photo uh, at the nice. victory party last night for Dr. Jen Campbell. That's awesome. My Aunt Jen. Go, Aunt Jen. I'm so proud of you she psyched? Oh, she's so psyched.
1: That's great. That's super. That's
0: a great picture, too. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. She looks really happy. So
2: this is the first time I have ever – we have ever had applied rational security. In- uh, integrating the rational security <laughs> – uh, This is uh, your
0: comprehensive you, rational security solution?
3: Yes, yeah. <laughs> <listeners>. Listener. Listener <laughs> solid.
2: Well, I, the, uh, on Sunday, I walked out of the Brookings Institution and on the steps in front of uh, the building – was a genuinely suspicious package. Uh, and by this, I mean like a work backpack with a large number of wires coming out of it. And I looked at it and I said, huh. And then I sort of looked in it and there seemed to be some kind of uh, electronic thing in it. And I thought, hmm, suspicious package, bomber sending stuff to... Uh, people uh, probably need to notify the cops. And I look up from the uh, package, and there is this woman also looking at the package. And I said, I think we should probably call this in. She said, I think so. I said, I'll just run into Brookings and notify security. It's okay. I work there. And then she said to me, I, I know you do. I listen to rational security. <laughs>
0: and <laughs> That's um, the best. So –
2: I kind of peeled myself off the floor and ran into Brookings and uh, let them know that this package existed and they called the cops. And then I came outside and this woman and her daughter, Emma uh, – shout out to Emma and her mom. Uh, Emma, who is also a rational security listener, uh, the three of us kept people away from the package until the cops showed up and uh, the cop uh, uh, prodded the package with a stick and it fell over, and the garbage inside fell out.
0: And, <laughs> and that was, that's so anticlimactic, then. That was the
2: end oh. of the uh, security incident foiled by rational security staff and listeners. I love so it. I have a
3: related confession.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you put Which the bag is there. <laughs>
3: I'm the bomber. No, it's that um, I walked out of Brookings Building approximately 10 minutes before Ben did, because we're all here on Sundays. So that's how dedicated we are. Um, and also saw the bag. And there was a woman like a few feet away. And I kind of looked at it and I was like, well, that's a little weird, but I'm sure it's just hers. And left. <laughs> oh, and away. you failed the and security so awareness. So you chat. saw something? see something Said say nothing. something. <laughs> ben and I have now been tested under like the same. Circumstances. I remind saw me not to travel I didn't with say you. Say anything. Yeah. Um, oh man. You know. But then, uh, well done. Uh, I, I wanna
2: I want to submit that the circumstances were not the same because when you came out, the bag was a- attended, and when I came out, the bag was was clearly not attended. And I do think that's a bit different. But uh, shout out to the alert, rational security listeners who who helped me. Uh, 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 save the public from this
1: uh,
0: bag D- dangerous of bag of trash. Bag <laughs> 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 that is
1: why we have the best listeners.
2: Wait,
3: I, we <laughs> are keeping know. the
1: public safe.
3: <laughs> why was there a bag of wires? Yeah, like, was, was it a house? Was is it garbage? Though, yeah. uh,
2: I'm so confused. It was. It is not obvious what it was. I, I think it was either maybe a homeless person's bag of garbage or it was an effort to scare people, I'm genuinely not sure which I suspect more likely the former than the latter.
3: If you have misplaced a black bag full of wires and garbage. <laughs> too late. <laughs> no. Too late it's It's gone. been disposed of. We're very sorry.
1: <laughs> we talked to you about its final moments. <laughs> and we're at our final moments too. Exactly.
0: <laughs> he is back.
1: <laughs> Rational Security is a production of Lawfare. You can find our show page on the Lawfare internet website, which is at lawfare blog blog dot dot com. <laughs>
3: You
2: can add an
1: HTTP colon slash slash to that Okay, write this down. H-T-T-P-S.
3: On (laughs) the World Wide Web.
1: You can follow us on Twitter at R-A-T-L Security. You will find us on Facebook. Whenever you download the podcast, please remember to leave us a rating and a review. It helps others find the show. Our audio engineer this week is Matthew Kahn. The show is produced and edited by Jen Patia Howell. Music this week by Matt Whitaker and the Hatchet Men.
0: Oh, nice! Good, good, good. good.
1: <laughs> that sounds like a plausible band name.
0: Hey, Shane.
1: Yeah. That cuts both
3: ways.
0: Ooh.
1: <laughs> it sure does. It sure does. As does Sophia Yan, like a knife. Yeah, she cuts in all directions. Cutting in all directions, she'll cut you up. Oh, on behalf of my good friends Susan Hennessy, Benjamin Woodson and Tamara I'm Shane Harris. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening. If we're
2: still here. <laughs>